Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah everybody and welcome home. For the past few years we've always started our programs with this statement and we mean it because community is a place that we all should call home. A place that gives us peace, a place that gives us tranquility and a place that we know is going to be there. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes faith in the Quran, He mentions stability as being a requirement for faith to grow. Asluha thabit wa far'uha sama That its roots are firm and its branches grow to the sky. If we don't have stability, if we don't have permanence, if we don't know that something is going to be there for us, then our faith won't be able to grow. This is why when the Prophet ﷺ came to Medina and made the migration, the hijrah with his companions, at that moment, when they arrived at their new permanent home, he said the beautiful phrase, Afshus salam, spread peace. Why? Because peace can be attained now that we have a place that we can call home. For the past five years, Roots has been able to be a part of so many people's lives, alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah. And we're so honored to have that be a part of our legacy. But we've been doing it in temporary spaces. We've been doing it in hotel banquet halls, in masjid side rooms, in people's living rooms at home, and in temporary lease spaces where when we were signing the lease, we knew that this was not going to be there forever. But that can change. By the favor of Allah, with our foundational organization, Qalam, we've been able to find this beautiful property here in Carrollton, Texas that will be the permanent location and facility for the Roots Community Space. A place where everybody can feel that tranquility and have that growth of faith that Allah Ta'ala tells us about. We need your help to close on this property. We need you to generously donate and contribute whatever you can, adding your name to this list of people that will help build and construct a permanent home for us to build the model community following the example of the Prophet Muhammad in Medina. Help us make this dream a reality. Visit rootsdfw.org slash home. Assalamu alaikum everybody. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Welcome home everybody. Good to see everybody back. Alhamdulillah. Um, just another uh, 80 degree day before a 30 degree day on Wednesday inshallah. So I uh, hope you guys are prepared inshallah. Um, how is everybody? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. It's good to see, good to hear. And uh, by the way, saying Alhamdulillah when someone asks you how you're doing, saying Alhamdulillah doesn't mean that there's nothing wrong. It doesn't mean that, you know, things are perfect, right? But what it means is that uh, my Rabb is greater than any difficulty that I have. That's what we mean when we say Alhamdulillah. So whatever situation we find ourselves in, uh, whether it's ideal or less than ideal, whether it's what we want or what we don't want, uh, we say Alhamdulillah because we trust that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to, He's the one who put us into the situation He destined for us and He's going to see us through it. Right? And so um, it's important to, uh, to, to know that. At the same time, you're allowed to feel disappointment, you're allowed to feel pain, you're allowed to cry. The Prophet felt sadness, he cried tears of sadness, right? Crying tears of sadness doesn't mean that you're upset with Allah, doesn't mean that you resent Allah, doesn't mean that you hate Him, it means that you're human, right? But we always counter and we always match our human responses with the spiritual answer. So humanity has questions, your humanness has questions, and then Islam has answers. So we always match those two, right? The human question of fear is met with the Islamic response of tawakkul, trust in Allah. You don't know the answer, but you know it's going to be there, okay? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, we're doing well. Um, we're going to continue, inshallah, on our journey in Surah Al-Baqarah. Uh, this first section of Surah Al-Baqarah is, um, honestly, it, it's one of the most, 
you know, it's one of the most descriptive and powerful sections in terms of uh, a person understanding the categorization of all human beings. Every single human being on the face of this earth is categorized in this section. So the first group were those people who have belief. What? They have what? Belief. الذين آمنوا الذين يؤمنون بالغيب ويقيمون الصلاة ومما رزقناهم ينفقون. That Allah describes these very, uh, you know, accomplished believers that they reached a level of piety. And then Allah Taala gives us a description of إن الذين كفروا سواء عليهم أنذرتهم أم لم تنذرهم لا يؤمنون. So He tells us about those who reject. And this is how we finished last week on that little cliffhanger that I dropped for you guys, was the next category, Allah Ta'ala spends 12 or 13 ayat discussing the third category. The first two combined were five verses. The believers were three, and the disbelievers, or the rejectors, were two. So what's the reason that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala spent such a large amount relative to the first two? of verses on this third group. Well, the first group are those who believe, the second group are those who reject, and the third are, as Allah describes them, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَقُولُ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَبِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَمَا هُمْ بِمُؤْمِنِينَ That there are those people who say, they proclaim with their tongues, that we believe. They say what? مَنْ يَقُولُ آمَنَّا بِاللَّهِ وَبِالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ We believe in Allah and we believe in the Day of Judgment. That we have belief in those things. But Allah Ta'ala says, But they are anything but believers. They don't even come close. They have nothing to claim as far as iman, these people. The category of people that this is known by, according to the Quran and according to the hadith of the Prophet are the hypocrites. Munafiqun. Those people who are afflicted with the disease of nifaq. Okay? So Allah Ta'ala spends a very relatively short amount of time describing the believers and the rejectors, but then we have a very long exhibition on what the hypocrites sound like, what they look like, what is going on internally, the stages that they go through to develop this hypocrisy. Why do you guys think Allah Ta'ala spends so much time or so many ayat doing this? Yeah. So we can prevent Very good. So... I like how you just started immediately with self-awareness. This is not a diagnostic section, it's a self-awareness section. So we're not supposed to walk around and be like, all right, who here says they believe but doesn't actually believe? You know, like you're at, you're at a friend's house and it's time to pray Asr and you guys are watching a game or something and you turn on, you know, you turn on the TV and you're like, we should pray first. They're like, we can pray in a bit. You're like, subhanAllah. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's not the focus of this this, this, uh, these verses is not meant to be like a diagnostic uh, you know, checklist that you walk around with a clipboard and you're like, I'm the hypocrite patrol. Like, let me let you know if you're a hypocrite. Rather, right, and this is where all of this kind of becomes very real. Rather, this is just like a self-awareness diagnosis, right? This is an assessment, a self-assessment. Because as Allah describes, and you'll see, all of the descriptions that the hypocrites have there is a massive difference between their external and their internal. And all we know about anybody is the external. We don't know the internal. We have no idea what's actually happening inside the hearts of people. Okay, so number one is that Allah Ta'ala 
spends a lot of time, a lot of verses on the, the, the hypocrite or the, the action of hypocrisy because when something is very critical and you don't want it to be missed out, you spend a lot of time on it, right? If I'm giving somebody a recipe and it requires ingredients that are very critical and some ingredients that are very straightforward, right? Let's say that, you know, instead of just getting like any old hamburger bun because you're grilling burgers, you want like potato buns or something like that. And you tell the person like, look, here's what the packaging looks like. It is this brand. It's usually on this shelf. They only sell them in, 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 you know, in units of four. Like, do not mess this up, right? Now, as far as like which onion you want to get, I don't care, red, yellow, it doesn't matter to me, you know, for auntie's closet, it doesn't matter, right? Just give me an onion, tomatoes, whatever. But this is what I need you to focus on, right? Because maybe the other ones are also pretty straightforward. So number one is self-assessment. Why else do you think Allah Ta'ala spends a lot of uh, uh, verses on this? On the hypocrisy aspect. Yeah, so interesting, subhanAllah. Thank you, Zahlah Khairan. Because hypocrisy, and I know this is going to sound weird, hypocrisy is, is one of the worst forms of disbelief. Okay, let me just put this out there. There is actually some honor, and there is some sincerity in disbelief. There are some people who like genuinely disbelieve. Okay, now it doesn't exonerate a person from the, the, the accountability, right? We ask a lot to protect us. But there is sincerity in both of the first two groups. The third group is defined by insincerity. They are the absence of sincerity. The first group believes. They're sincerely believers. The second group sincerely disbelieves, right? They're not trying to even benefit from the belief or the uh, appearance of belief. The third group, they are insincere and they try to, they try to really pre- pre- uh, present themselves as believers. Why? Why would you present yourself as a believer? But then not believe. Yeah. It's more of like a judgment and Very good. There's an element of being judged and not wanting to be judged or being accepted. Okay. Again, very specific. When you read the Quran, knowing the... Life of the Prophet is very important. And when was this revealed? This was a Medinan surah. All right? Would anybody fake being a Muslim in Mecca? Just based off what you know about Mecca. Was Mecca like good times for the Muslims? Mecca is where you hear about all those stories of torture and all the stories of harassment and all the stories of Muslims being killed. Okay? That's where you hear about all those stories. Now, Medina did have its fair share of difficulty, but it wasn't nearly as lopsided as Mecca was. Okay, so in Medina, when the Prophet ﷺ comes to Medina, and he is he is accepted by the majority of the uh, of the community there, the two dominant tribes, Aws and Khazraj, he is accepted as the leader of the city. Now, what happens to all the other people who have their little principalities and leaderships in Medina? What happens when the Prophet ﷺ arrives? What happens to their power? That's the end of their Wikipedia article, right? Like it's done. Like, you know what I mean? Their leadership ended. When the Prophet ﷺ got to Medina, it was like, all right. Like, you're no longer... Now, the Prophet ﷺ didn't do, like, you know, uh, and, uh, he didn't, like, rub it in their face. He wasn't like, oh, uh, who are you again? Oh, you used to be the governor? Okay, interesting. That's not how he was. The Prophet ﷺ tried to engage, tried to work with them, right? But obviously, he wasn't going to sell 
This isn't some sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, culture of preserving power by selling authority. No, none of that, right? Everybody had to come sincerely. So there were some people that they understood that in order to maintain some level of authority in Medina, they had to play the game. So they didn't necessarily believe in the Prophet Sallallahu and his message. But they said they believed because they knew that that was the first step to preserving some semblance of their authority. That you know what, I can't just come out right away and say no because now I'm going to have the entire city against me. So I at least have to fake it. So you had some hypocrites, most notably the most famous amongst them, his name was Abdullah bin Ubay al-Salul. He was, his name was literally Abdullah. He was the leader of the hypocrites. And he would, till, till his, his dying day, he feigned being a believer, but would absolutely try to destroy the community at every chance he could get. We're talking like sabotage, right? We're talking abandoning the army when they're going to defend the city. We're talking perpetuating and propagating rumors about Aisha radiallahu anha. We're talking everything. We're talking about spreading lies about the Prophet to neighboring tribes. We're talking about teaming up with tribes around Arabia to try to you know, advocate a civil war against the Muslims of Medina. This was his, this was his thing. This is what he did. Okay, so you have him, people like Abdullah bin Ubay, who are very like outwardly, you know, it's known that they are hypocrites. They have no confusion about their belief or not. But then you have some people that unfortunately, again, because of the promises of the things of power, because of the promises of desire, the promises of whatnot, maybe they did actually, they were on the fence. Maybe they were actually there. And some of them, maybe even were at some point like genuine in their acceptance of the Prophet But then because of some sort of, I don't know, you know, opportunity, they went back on it. There were some tribes that accepted Islam and when the Prophet passed away, they sent a message to Abu Bakr, the new Khalifa, and they said, what? We'll still stay Muslim, but no more zakat. Like we'll still be Muslim, but we're not going to give you zakat anymore. Our money is our money. Don't, don't ask me for two and a half percent every year anymore. That's not, Right? So there were some people that, yeah, they came into Islam, sure. But then they tried to start the negotiations. Well, okay, do we have to pray? Do we have to do this? Do we have to do that? And this is where a lot of this conversation about nifaq comes to. So Allah Ta'ala spends a lot of time because number one, self-assessment. Number two, the complete and total void of sincerity in this disease is something that can hit anybody. And that's the third thing, is that every person in this room needs to appreciate something, and that is that we're not safe from this disease. In fact, there is an authentic narration that the Prophet ﷺ gives us in both Sahih Bukhari and Muslim, in which he tells us that the first people to enter the hellfire, the very first people to go to hellfire, are going to be from the people of reciters of Qur'an. They're going to be from the martyrs who died in battle, and they're going to be from the scholars who taught the religion. Right? Now again, this is not a diagnostic, you know, we're not going to walk up to every scholar in DFW and be like, I have bad news. <laughs> you know, every reciter and be like, have you, but it is something to think about, right? And when they're asked on the Day of Judgment, why did you recite? Why did you fight? Why did you, why did you teach? Why did you give another, Riwayah talks about the, the donor, the, the, the charitable person. They'll say the right answer. Like they'll verbally say it. Oh, I taught because 
for the sake of Allah, and I taught so that people could understand the deen, or I you know, recited so that people could appreciate the beauty of the Qur'an and its recitation, or I fought defending you know, the, the Muslim community, whatever. Like They gave the, the good reason, they gave the, the, the Sunday school answer. But then they'll be told, كذبت. it'll be like announced by the angels, you're lying, and you know you're lying. And then it'll be told to them that you did this so that people would say how smart you are. What a beautiful voice they had. What a generous person they were. What a brave warrior they were. You did that for that reason, right? There's a narration from Hudayfa. Hudayfa radiallahu anhu has a very interesting context. This is one of the companions of the Prophet Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. And he says something very scary, but it gets even scarier. Okay, good news. So he says that a man used to say something during the time of the Prophet and by that word, okay, they would say that word, meaning like they would just make a statement. And in making that single statement, Hudayfa said, it would become clear that they were a hypocrite. So he's saying back in the day with the Prophet we'd be sitting at a gathering and somebody would show up and say something and instantly we all looked around and we knew Something's not right with this person spiritually, right? There were stories of people coming up to the Prophet you know, saying like, you know, where's my money? Or like things like that, right? After battle, whatever. They would make these statements. And Hudayf is saying that this person would come and say it one time and we'd be like, <gasps> okay, but you ready for the scary part? He says, In these gatherings today, Hudayf is telling his people now, I hear you guys saying the same words 10 times. Back then we'd hear it once and we all stopped breathing because we were scared. Now it's like water. The things that we say, right? And now if you translate, that was like what, 10 years after the death of the Prophet Now what makes this especially scary, okay, is that Hudayfa was the only companion that the Prophet trusted and he gave him a list of names. He told Hudayfa, the Prophet told Hudayfa in confidence, a list of names, the content of that list were all the hypocrites in Medina. Right? And he told Hudayfa that, so that Hudayfa could keep that list, right? But not to tell everybody, because again, that's not the purpose of prophethood is to cause fitna. It was so serious that Omar used to go to Hudayfa and he used to say, dude, tell me, am I on that list? He was 100% real. And we chuckled because we think, man, Omar, come on, let's be real, man. You're Omar. But I want you to understand, he would cry. He would beg Hudayfa, tell me, am I on that list? Seriously, am I number 13? Which number am I? And Hudayfa finally said, I can't tell you. I was sworn to secrecy. And Omar was like, please, please, please. Hudayfa said, look, I can't tell you anything, but I'll tell you you're not on the list. Like, I can't tell you anything else. Leave me alone. Stop bothering me. Will you leave me alone if I tell you if you're on it? He goes, yes. He goes, you're not. Leave me alone. Okay? So Hudayfa saying this is not like some random person. This is the one person who knew all of the hypocrites in Medina. And he's saying, man, I sit in these gatherings nowadays, and I just hear these things. I hear these things, these statements that are being made. And he said, back in the day with the Prophet if somebody even whispered that, we would be concerned. And now it's like every other word, right? So now fast forward to 2022, right? May Allah protect us. So all this is to say that this disease is very sneaky. 
It's very slick. You know what I mean? And Allah Ta'ala actually tells us how slick this disease is. He actually highlights it in the next verse. So he says, there are those people that they say, we believe, but they are not true believers. And this is the scary part. We all say we believe, right? Everyone here says that you're a believer. If you don't, then inshallah you will, right? But you know, everyone here says that we believe. But Allah says they don't believe, right? So now we're all kind of stuck. We're like, uh-oh, what's the, what's the proof? How do I know if I believe or not? Allah Ta'ala then says, He says that they think that they can deceive Allah. They think that they have the ability to deceive Allah, right? That they can act one way in public and act a different way in private. They think that for some reason, like Allah won't hear them or Allah doesn't see their DMs. Allah doesn't hear the whispering. Allah doesn't know about the backbiting. You know the famous story we were all told as kids about the three sons that were each told, go and hide this somewhere that no one can see you. You guys ever heard that story before? So the dad gave, you know, three of his sons something valuable and said, you know, go and hide this some, somewhere where no one can see you, no one can find it. And he said, whoever does this, I'll give them a piece of candy or something. That's always the, the tale in Arab and Desi stories. I'll give you a piece of candy. And so the first son goes and hides it in the forest. The second son hides it in the attic. And the third son just sits there. So when they all come back, the first one's like, I hid it in the forest. And the dad's like, wow, mashallah, shabash, you know, good job. And he goes, but you lost. And he's like, what? And then the second one's like, oh, I hid it in the attic. And he goes, mashallah, shabash. And he goes, you lost too. And then the third son said, I couldn't, I couldn't find anywhere. And the dad said, why? He goes, because Allah knows everything. And the dad was like, here's the candy, right? Third son, you got it. That consciousness is something that when it escapes us, and we chuckle because we're talking about a, child, a children's story, but how many of us on our deathbed are going to be so regretful that we didn't have that? That one, like, innocent, like, that innocent spirituality, you know? There's a video that was circulating on the internet, you know, for a couple of years now of a Bedouin person in the middle of the desert with a bunch of sheep, and there was a guy driving a car, and he's like, hey, give me, this, give me those sheep. And the guy's like, no, no, they're not mine. I'm just shepherding them. They're somebody else's. He's paying me to, to shepherd them, to herd them. And the guy's like, he's not here, man. Just here, take this money and, and tell me. And the Bedouin guy just starts dropping it on him like, like an Egyptian mother. And he just tells him, that's my only reference point, right? Because that's my mom. He just starts saying like, well, how dare you say no one will see me? Don't you know Allah is watching us right now? He just uh, gives him like the khutbah of the century, right? And the guy who was driving as they pulled up, he told the guy to start filming. He goes, watch this. He goes, look at the faith of these people. He's literally offering him cash. And Bedouin people are not like wealthy by any means, right? I mean, we're talking, you guys heard of paycheck to paycheck? You know, you guys ever heard like hand to mouth? Bedouins are like a hand, not sure if it's going to make it to my mouth, right? Like they really have very minimal resources, okay? So he's offering him so much money for these animals. And the guy is like snapping on him like, get away from me. You sinner, you munafiq, like, why are you doing this? Why are you testing me, Satan? And the guy, the video made its rounds as to, as to say what? Man, you look at that person and you say to yourself, like, you think of yourself as being better because you have resources or you have comfort and luxury, but do you have the faith of that guy, right? Are you the same person in private as you are in public? On the day of judgment, the hadith of the Prophet says that a person will be brought in front of a mountain of their good deeds, and they'll get so excited and then at a moment's instant, it will be all blown to dust. And they'll say, what happened? And the angel will say, this is because you were one person in public and you changed in private. You were unrecognizable. 
all those deeds had no weight. They were like sawdust. They disappeared. So the hypocrites, how many of you feel kind of scared right now or uncomfortable? That's a great sign. You should, right? Because the hypocrites hear these narrations and nothing happens. Nothing. Because they're like, I'm good. I'm good. I already told you I believe. What's the problem? The believer, according to Aisha, said the believer is not like, is not spiritually paralyzed by this fear, but they're always a little bit concerned. Am I being sincere? Am I being sincere? And they try to figure out ways to add sincerity to their life so that what? So that they know that they're not faking it, that they're for real. Okay? So Allah Ta'ala describes this and He says, And that's why Allah says, from people, there are those who say we believe in Allah and the last day. Why are these two things mentioned specifically with regards to sincerity? Allah and the last day. Huh? They're from the unseen. And what? What's the day of judgment? What's going to happen on that day? Accountability. Accountability. Like that's the day where all of our lives are going to be brought forth. That's the day where all of the emptiness is going to be filled up. Right? Like that's that day. So there are people that are like, yeah, I believe in the day of judgment. Do you? Because you're not acting like it. Right? And you think you can get away with it. So you try to deceive Allah and those who believe. But subhanAllah, look what Allah Ta'ala says. He says, وَمَا يَخْدِعُونَ إِلَّا أَنفُسَهُمْ But you know who's being deceived? You try to deceive Allah and the believers. You know who's being deceived? You. You. And Allah says this in the Quran. It's very interesting. Allah mentions a couple times, actions that we try to do to Him are actually being done to us. For better or for worse. Right? So Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, He says what? That, uh, Don't be like those people who forgot themselves. I'm sorry, forgot Allah. And, spoiler alert, I just ruined it. They forgot who? Themselves. Allah says, don't be like those people. As soon as you forget who Allah is, you're going to forget who you are. You forget your purpose. Because if you forget what, who Allah is, how do you remember what your purpose for existence is? You're lost, right? But then Allah Ta'ala also says in the Quran that for those people who are grateful to Allah, then actually their gratitude is only benefiting themselves, right? Whoever is grateful to Allah, their gratitude is only benefiting to themselves. And whoever is disbelieving in Allah and is ungrateful to Allah, then Allah Ta'ala reminds us and says, فَإِنَّ رَبِّي غَنِيٌّ كَرِيمٌ Allah Ta'ala doesn't need your gratitude. So what we learn here that's very interesting is that one of the things that the hypocrites don't realize, and this is like sign number one, okay, is that your relationship with Allah is ultimately a mirror of who you are spiritually. Does that make sense? Your relationship with Allah is a mirror of who you are spiritually. A lot of us can get away with telling people that we are good at our roles. Right? This is the young professional's halakha, right? How much of your career is just faking it till you make it? How many of you guys Google everything? Right? They're like, hey, I need you to code this. You're like, I'm on it. Did that six years ago. Google how to code this, right? Oh, I can just pay someone offshore to do it? Okay, let me just do that, right? We are so accustomed to the idea of faking it till we make it. I mean, how many of you, your resume is not exactly accurate? Anybody? Anybody here have a close friend? Thank you for being honest. Anyone here, on, you have a close friend on your resume who's the VP of some fake company somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call Muhammad Muhammad, VP of Muhammad Enterprises. I was, you know, his director. <laughs> you know, and they're just like, oh, great, you know. This is, this is praised, 
it's not only praised, it's so normative that if you don't do it, you're going to feel like you get left behind, right? So we are told to fake it till we make it. Then we fake it what? I mean, we just talked about, you know, uh, uh, we had the chai chat on Friday. We talked about the social dilemma, like faking it with filters, right? We fake our own presentation. You know, who are you besides your face? <laughs> your face is who you are, right? Like it's, it's the most recognizable form of a person. It's, it's, and, and, and the filters that change the very construction of your face, right? And I know it's easy for the guys to look at, but have, I've seen some guys with some nice, nice eyebrows, right? And I saw them the next day and they did not look that nice. So what's going on, man? Like Instagram's got like an eyebrow filter, like what's, you know, the Dearborn, <laughs> right? I don't know. So, shout out to Dearborn, y'all in Michigan. Okay, so it's there. And, and again, the, the, the reconstruction of a person's appearance, fake it till you make it, okay? Um, there's so much, subhanAllah. There's so, so much. And, and, and we've become so accustomed to it that sometimes it slips into our spiritual state. The fake it, right? I'm a good son. I'm a great dad. <laughs> I'm a good sibling. Like, don't let yourself tell everybody who you are. Why don't you let the people that you're claiming on behalf of talk to people? Would you feel as, com- as confident? Would you feel confident if someone asked you, like, are you good to your parents? Would you, would you give the mic to your parents? Tell them, am I good? Right? Some, some people in here, mashallah, yes. May Allah, they're like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to give the microphone to Musa. Musa, is Baba good? Right? Musa's fine. Iman would be harsh. Iman today, I'm not, I'm not lying. When she gets upset, man, her tongue is sharp. It's so good that she's not being held to account for her sins right now. Because her tongue is so sharp, it's unreal. It is unreal, okay? And let's just say, Baba doesn't have a sharp tongue. So, okay, she, we're, 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 we're hanging out with her or whatever. And she's, she's just at that age, mashallah, where she really wants to like constantly be engaged. And so she's like, let's go do this, let's go do that. There's like no breaks. You know, anyone here have kids, you know, or like nephews, or ne- there's no breaks, you know? Like so many of us were like, let's do something and then let's have, let's rest, let's recover. I had to explain to Musa, I was like, you know your Nintendo Switch? He said, yeah. I said, if you don't charge it, what happens? He's like, oh, then I can't play. It's the worst. I said, Baba needs to charge. And my charger is that couch. That's my charger, okay? So like, I need to charge Baba Switch. He's like, okay, I get it. So anyways, so Iman today, like we're hanging out with her, we're talking, and we just got back from a long day. We're like driving around. The kids are a little bit sick. So it's like, you know, it's just, it's not easy. Alhamdulillah. And then we're at home and we're hanging out and, and Mahreen and I are just sitting on the couch. We're like, man, I'm getting ready to, you know, get ready for hard work. I got to get here. I got to leave by like four-ish, 4.30. And uh, we're just sitting there and Iman is like laying on top of me. She's looking at my wife and me and she's like, let's do something. Let's do, come on, paint my nails. Do this, do that. She wants to do something. And Musa's at the age where he can kind of, you know, he's playing by himself. So Mahreen looks at her and she's like, like please, please, Iman, just give us 20 minutes. Just let me close my eyes for 20 minutes. And Iman says... You and Baba, your hairstyle is terrible. <laughs> well, wallahi. Well, I swear by Allah, she said this. So much so that Marine looks at me and says, did she just say my hair looks terrible? I said, not just you. Like, I'm included in that. You and Baba, your hairstyle is terrible. And I just walked away. It's just the meanest thing ever, right? So I wonder, like, I wonder, like, I'm nervous, you know, like, would my kids 
would my kids defend me? Would they be able to, to substantiate the claim that I'm good? You know? And so it's really important. Hypocrites never think about that. Hypocrites are more concerned about their own presentation than the reality. And so, you know, don't be afraid to like call your parents and ask them like, am I good? Like, what do you need from me to be better? And I know that some people have very stressed relationships strained with their parents. I understand that, okay? And you're, when, when you have a strain in your relationship with somebody, like a sibling or a parent or something, the reality is you can just do what you can do and that's it, okay? You do your best. Like, you know, you apologize, you come, you, you come graciously, compassionately, and if that person doesn't reciprocate, like, you've done what you can, Right? It's called itmam al-hujjah. Like you have to establish the proof and then that's it. You walk, but if you haven't even like tried, right? Then you have to ask yourself, like, can I make that claim? Okay. And then Allah drops the most devastating part of all of this. Is that, you know, when you lie, um, anyone here spend money and then like you avoid checking your bank account for a while? <laughs> or like you eat good and then you just kind of put the scale away? <laughs> or you wear the loose clothes for a bit, right? Until Ramadan, you're like, let me go, let me just get that starvation month and, uh, you know, trim down a little bit. So we have a way of, even if we don't, uh, uh, um, what's the word? Even if we don't like consciously admit and state what's happening within us, we have a way of sort of like subconsciously understanding it and we change our behavior accordingly. Yes or no? So you, you like spend a lot of money and you just kind of delete the Bank of America app off your phone. I don't want to check it because it's not going to be happy times. It'll be sad times, right? It's going to be ramen for dinner next couple months. Sad times, okay? I'm not going to step on the scale. I'm not going to try to, you know, if I haven't lifted in a long time, I'm not going to go to the gym and start lifting again because it's not going to be good, right? I don't want to check my grades. I don't want to check this, my that. You're on vacation. You don't check any of your responsibilities, okay? There is something to say about number one, knowing what's going on. Number two, knowing but hiding it. But you know what the worst thing is? when you have no idea and it hits you like a freight train. Like when you have no clue and it just hits you out of nowhere. And you're like, what? You get a letter in the mail, you owe this much. And you're like, what? I never, it, didn't, it wasn't even in my, 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 my consciousness or my subconsciousness. I had no clue, what do you mean I owe this much? And then you go back and you check and you're like, oh my God, how could I have missed that, right? Or something really critical and you had no clue. So Allah dropped this line. وَهُمْ لَا يَشْعَرُونَ وَمَا يَشْعَرُونَ These people were completely unaware. Like they thought they could trick Allah and there was no thought in the trickery that I think, I th- I think this is kind of foolish. They genuinely thought they were getting away with it. Genuinely. Like as they were doing whatever it was, they were like, I'm good. And one of the signs, the tafsir mentions this, one of the signs of this, sign number one, that a person is unaware of the deception that they're causing internally, right? Have you guys ever heard the phrase lying to yourself, right? This is kind of like, that aligns with that. One of the signs of that is that we commit sins that we forget about. Like it's one thing to commit a sin and remember it. Okay, you know what? I did that. It's wrong. Let me... Let me uh, make istighfar. Let me go and ask Allah to forgive me, right? But there's the dua of the Prophet ﷺ where he taught us, the masnoon dua, that, oh Allah, forgive me for the sins I remember and the ones I don't remember. Because how many of us can remember every prayer that we've missed? How many of us can remember every utterance of backbiting that we've done? Can we? 
It's so hard. We are so in the mode sometimes of disobedience that like it's so rapid fire, we can't even account for it. We can't keep up. So what does the hypocrite do is the hypocrite just lives in their bliss because, or lives in their ignorance because ignorance is bliss. While the believer, Allah Ta'ala tells us, they are, they're not perfect, but they are aware of their imperfections. They're acutely aware of them, okay? And they try their best to hedge against them. They really do. And they fall and they make mistakes, but they at least never deny reality, right? The hypocrite, because sincerity allows you to acknowledge reality, right? Sincerity is when a person comes to another person and says, I'm sorry what what I said was wrong, right? I'm sincere in my relationship with you and I love you, so I'm going to acknowledge my my mistake. Insincerity, the the scariness behind insincerity is that the person is going to be standing there with a person crying in front of them and they'll say, what did I do? Why are you crying? What? You're right? And this is where the gaslighting phenomenon comes from. What, what, why, are you, why would you get upset by that? Right? Really? You don't, you don't realize what you said? You don't realize what you did? You're not even aware of how this could hurt me? I don't know what you're talking about. That action, that characteristic that many of us have probably experienced, hopefully not as the aggressor, but maybe we have, that is the byproduct of a complete absence of sincerity. So much so that when a person is sincere, you know what they do? They assume fault even when there's a chance that it wasn't them. The Prophet says that there's a palace for the, for the believer in the highest part of Jannah, right? In the highest part of Jannah, for the one who gives up argumentation, even if they know that they are, right? Can you guys do that? How many of you can do that? Be honest. Can you give up arguing even when you know you're right? This isn't like, oh, I could be right, but I know I'm right. It's so difficult, man. And many of us are like, we do it in a way that's so backhanded. You know, somebody's like, well, I don't know. And you're like, I don't know either, I guess. Be like, agree to disagree? Yeah, I guess if that's how you want to end this, sure. That's not, that's not gracious. Like, you know what I mean? That's not gracious. Like, if, if, if you genuinely, the way that you genuinely end an argument, even though you know you're right, is you allow the person to win. Because you realize the relationship between the two of you is more valuable than that win. You're like, you know what? It's not about that. There's not going to be any text messages the next day. Hey, you know when you said this? Well, read this article. You're wrong. <laughs> Right? Or here's the screenshot. Here's the receipt. None of that. Because you haven't given up then. You haven't given up. You're flexing the fact that you knew that you were right. Right? But when you absolutely know that you're right. I'm seeing a lot of married couples look at each other right now. Right? When you absolutely know that you're right, but you still act like you are wrong. Completely. It's, 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 it's indistinguishable from being uh, actually wrong. You act like you're wrong. Okay? So these are the characteristics of sincere believers. And the hypocrites have this insincerity. So number one, is that what? They say they believe, but they're not. Allah Ta'ala says that. They think they're deceiving Allah, but they're not deceiving anyone but themselves. And they have no clue the path that they're going. Then Allah Ta'ala says, In their heart is a disease. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a very interesting phrase. I need you guys to listen up. 
In their heart is a disease, and Allah increased them in their disease. Okay? Allah increased them in their disease. And they will be punished with a great punishment for the things that they used to deny. The things that they used to deny. There's an interesting question that shows up in the tafsir about this verse. It's one thing to have a disease spiritually, but then it's one thing for then Allah to increase somebody in that disease, and then for that person to be held to account for the disease that Allah Ta'ala increased them in. How does this make sense? How is that fair? All right, let's ask the question the way that we would think of it internally. How is it fair that Allah would hold someone accountable for a disease that He increased them in? Because he says it very clearly. Like Allah increased them in their disease. Does it, does it sound fair the way that it translates? In their hearts of the disease, Allah increased them in their disease and then they were punished for it. Does it sound fair? Okay, we're getting there. The disease was already there in their heart first. But then why would it be fair that Allah increased it? What if they didn't want an increase? Huh? Is there a test? Maybe. There's definitely an aspect of it being a test. Is Allah increasing it so that they might notice that Interesting. Maybe Allah is increasing it so that they're aware that they have the disease. Mm-hmm. Good, good try. Okay, I like it. <laughs> it still doesn't get to the fairness aspect though. Is it huh? Is it You're close. You're the closest so far, yeah? Okay, so similar, good guess. Again, like very good Hasnadhan. You guys have good Hasnadhan, mashallah. But what's, yeah? Uh, he wouldn't have increased it if they hadn't genuinely tried to overcome it in the first place. You're so close. He would not have increased it if they tried to overcome it. You're so close. Yeah. They would have increased it themselves? Huh? They would have increased it themselves? You're like one word away. <laughs> they would have increased it themselves. Yeah. Oh, you're so close. He increased it because they're being negligent. Yes, in a way, yeah. In their arrogance, they wanted what? Because their arrogance, they wanted what, yeah? Okay, because of what they've done, but what is that proving? Huh? They did it to themselves, meaning what? You're, you're, just give me that one word that I need. <laughs> yeah. They would have done it to themselves otherwise? Not just they would have. They want it. They want it. Okay? Does anyone here have a problem with dessert? Like a problem? Like you need to have an intervention? Or pizza or burgers? Okay? Does anyone here have a problem? Yes or no? Don't you want more? Same concept. Same concept. Okay? When a person, this disease that he's talking about is not a disease that a person doesn't want to have. This is the disease that was introduced by the self and the person indulging themselves increases them in the disease. And so what does this person's heart yearn for more than anything? More of the not necessarily the disease, but more of the thing of which the byproduct is the disease. Right? So a hypocrite 
does not want to come back to Allah. If they did, we have no problem. Anyone who wants to come back to Allah, this verse is not about them. So there's no way that a person needs to read this verse and feel like Christ, oh no, is Allah going to punish somebody? What if they really, what if they really were good? If they're really good, then they, they don't qualify for this. This is talking about the person that is engrossed in a lifestyle, in behavior, in action, that is clearly counter to any spiritual life whatsoever. And even though they are fully cognizant of the effect that it's having on them, they keep doing it because it feels good. Because it feels good, right? So this is something very important. Actions have intentions, but there are unintended consequences to those actions. Yes or no? You may have intended something with your words, but the unintended consequence may have been tears. You didn't want the person to cry, but you didn't think far enough and you did not estimate or assess the chances that maybe me saying this right now in this way is going to cause this. And spiritually, it's the same way, right? When a person thinks to themselves about skipping salah, or looking at something in like looking at pornography or like talking to somebody they shouldn't talk or what any of these sins that we know okay they are intending something without realizing that the residue of that thing lives on within them yes the scar right the scar i point here because i have a scar here the scar of that action stays long after healing long after you know the, the 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 scab and the wound and everything closed up the scar can stay. The only way that a person can remove the impact of that sin is through tawbah. That's what the Prophet says. That when a person commits a sin, a small dark spot appears on their heart and it will grow as they continue in that sin unless they turn back to Allah. So when Allah Ta'ala here is saying that he increases them in, his, in their disease, what's he saying? He's just giving them more of what they're asking for. We all make du'as with our heart all the time, right? It may not come out of our lips, but your heart yearns for something. Yes or no, right? You guys see like, like, Humayun here, mashallah, has a Ricky's shirt on, right? You guys had Ricky's hot chicken? They haven't paid me for this, but maybe they'll give us dinner for free one night. I don't know. So you see his shirt and like, you know, it takes, it took beer, someone say took beer. It takes like a real courageous person to see a shirt for Ricky's and be like, man, I want Ricky's right now. Just to like utter it, right? At like 8 p.m. on a Monday. But everyone's heart sees that and they're like, man, that does sound very good. Right? Like you'll be watching a commercial and you'll see something and no one's going to be like, you know what? I could go for that. I can go for that molten lava cake. You guys can tell I haven't eaten dinner yet, right? I could do that. I can go for that, right? You see like a nice car that drives by. Maybe your friend has, you know, got a new job or something, right? You don't want to be that awkward person at a wedding, you're not going to do like, I wish I was married too. But like in your heart, you're like, I kind of wish I was married. You know, like you make dua with your heart all the time, right? Now, Imam al-Ghazali says the best dua is the one that the heart and the tongue are together. So like your heart's feeling it, your tongue understands what's going on and you say what you're feeling. Because sometimes the tongue and the heart, they conflict, right? So you're making dua for more money, but what you actually want is just, you just want happiness, like you want contentment. And you think more money is the solution to contentment, but sometimes it's not. So instead of saying like, oh Allah, make me content, you say, oh Allah, give me more. 
But in fact, you should be praying for contentment with what you have, right? Oh Allah, kani'ni bima razaqtani. Oh Allah, make me content with what you've given me instead of saying, oh Allah, give me more, right? So the heart and the, and the tongue can be at odds, but your heart is always begging for something, okay? So what Allah Ta'ala says, that these people, may Allah protect us, that they are afflicted with these spiritual illnesses, whether or not they realize it, their heart is asking for more. The spiritual illness of backbiting. Someone likes to talk a lot about people, okay? They're at a gathering with some friends. The night is ending up. A few, few of the guys sit together, right? Or a few of the girls sit together. And someone says, did you hear? What does everyone do? They're like, hear what? And then the person says, you know, never mind. It's not the big deal. No, 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 no. You can't do that. Spill the tea, sis. You can't do that. Right? What is that? Imam al-Ghazali says, your heart, the soul has an appetite for backbiting. And so if the person's sick, they want to hear it. Gossip is juicy, right? So they want that. They want that. No one can deny that there is an appetite there, right? So we have to admit that the heart can want what's not good for it. Yes or no? Absolutely. Unless it's been trained. Unless it's been trained. The heart can be trained to have like a visceral response to things that it knows are destructive to it, right? Think about Ramadan. How many of you guys love food? You guys love food? Then think about your reaction when you accidentally take a bite or a sip of a drink during the day in Ramadan and you're fasting. How do you respond? You literally spit it out People look at you, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe... You react so viscerally against what you just did, even though it's the way Allah made you, number one. Number two, you love it. And number three, 335 days out of the year, it's absolutely okay. But it's just this shift in paradigm for this one month. The very same thing you love, that action, it is so abhorrent to you. Right? Like a person who never fasts, doesn't engage in much outside Ramadan, if you told them like, let's go, let's go have lunch tomorrow, they'd be like, what kind of shaitan are you? <laughs> right? Listen, you know? And, and, and that's a powerful thing about that person's heart is that they still have reverence for Allah even if it's only one month. That's beautiful. That's amazing. But think about that. The heart can be completely trained. Have any of you guys given charity and loved it? Have you loved giving money? Like, did you feel something very different in that moment? You guys ever been to like an emotional fundraiser? Not like a fundraiser where it's like, all right, brothers, listen, the plumbing is not going to work tomorrow unless we pay this bill. That's not very emotional. You know, that's, people are like, okay, I can just use the bathroom at home, I guess. Or like the lights that you're enjoying, we're not going to have them on for much longer. You know, like the sort of uh, the threats. Have you guys ever been to like a very emotional fundraiser? And people are like, Taking, I don't know if they do this anymore. People are taking off their jewelry and sending it up. My mom gave away her wedding bangles, man. <laughs> I'll never forget. Imam Siraj Wahaj was doing a fundraiser in my, in my message in Chicago. And my dad had just lost his job. And we were just kind of, alhamdulillah, figuring things out. And my mom could not. He, Imam Siraj said the magic words. At the very end, after everyone had already pledged, he said, for everyone else in here tonight, you know, 
your ticket is not enough. <laughs> you basically just paid for your dinner. And he said, don't leave here without giving something. So my mom calls me back and she takes off her gold wedding bangles. And she says, and she's crying. And she can't even say it, but she's like, just, you know. And so I take it up to him and, you know, he makes this announcement. You know, this is your mother's wedding man. Everyone starts crying and everyone starts sending up their jewelry, right? It was like, I don't know, like what jeweler was going to like process all that. <laughs> but it was very emotional, okay? Now, this is the same jewelry that like people keep stored precious in their closet in like this red box that's made of this weird velvety stuff. <laughs> And they're protect. I know a lot about this stuff, okay? And they protect it like you know what I mean. They protect it like it's like it's got like zamzam in it or something. And you're telling me that people are just taking it off and giving it. What happened? Well, the heart was changed. The same heart that can normally love things, gimme, 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 right? And that moment, that same heart realized that if I can give this, someone's gonna have food. Someone's going to have clothes. An orphan that lost their parents will be given some comfort if I can just take this off. And the heart sees the math that the mind can't do, right? The mind is like, no, this is worth too much. Do this, right? Tip less, donate less, do this. The heart's like, shut up. And the heart says, just do what's right. So we need to be acutely aware that this, in the filjasadi mudra, the Prophet ﷺ said, every body has a morsel of flesh. If it's good, if it's upright, the entire body will be upright. If it's corrupt, the whole body is corrupt. The person that does not, is not aware that the heart is sensitive to this stuff, and they're insincere, and they're negligent. Allah Ta'ala says that, they will see themselves increase, but only in negligence. Because Allah rewards effort if a person tries. Allah rewards it. Omar woke up drunk to kill the Prophet ﷺ that day. And because he took one step, Allah rewarded it. He will never let a moment of sincerity go to waste. Right? But these people, the hypocrites, may Allah protect us, they have made it very clear that their satisfaction comes first. And in that, they forgot Allah, and in that, they forgot themselves. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us protection from this disease. We ask Allah Ta'ala to always orient our hearts towards Him. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be able to come to the Qur'an as seekers and walk away as people who have gained, that we come to the Qur'an with our thirst and we come away from it quenched. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to be nourished by his words in his book, Amin, Amin, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Anyone have any questions before we break? Yeah. So it's a good question. So what, what if the desire that my heart is yearning for is not good for me? Will Allah still grant it? It's possible for Allah to give you something you ask for if it's not good for you. It's absolutely possible, right? Um, but it's, it's it meaning that Allah can do that. And that's why we are always taught to end our du'as with what? 
with, if it's good for me, give it to me. If it's not good for me, then, like, turn it away from me. Make my heart no longer yearn for this anymore. I was just telling the seminary class last week about, like, the famous, like, marriage dua, like, you know, can I make dua for this person? I say, yeah, but you should make dua for Allah to give you the best person. I say, well, can I ask Allah to make this person the best person? <laughs> and although, sure, like, you can, there is an inherent flaw in that logic, which is that, oh, Allah, I know what's best. So why don't you follow my logic, Allah, instead of me following your destiny for me, right? So the answer to your question is that if, you're, if, if you have, a, if you have a, a, a belief in your heart that, oh Allah, I just want you to give me what's best. I want Allah to give me what's best. Then you are generally saved from, you know, like yearning for things that are bad for you and Allah granting them because it's almost like your, your general rule of life is, I just want Allah to give me what's good for me. And you can even say this, like, oh Allah, only give me things that are good for me. Don't give me anything that's bad for me, even if I want it. But the crazy thing is like Allah will test you, right? And he will dangle something in front of you and you think you want it and then you'll take it away. And you're like, I really wanted that. And then you have to remind yourself, maybe it wasn't good for me. You're like, but it was so nice, you know? And you start to negotiate internally and Allah will do this, why? To remind you, right? And then 10 years later, that thing you wanted, you'll see that it like destroyed whoever got it, right? May Allah protect us. It'll like do something really bad and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so happy that I didn't, you know, like the company that I was praying to get a job for, like they went bankrupt, you know? And now I'm like, I'm back to square one. And Allah didn't give me that job at that moment, but he redirected me to something else. And I've been here for 10 years. Alhamdulillah, I've had promotions and whatnot, or my job is secure. And you're like, subhanAllah. I mean, this building, I'm not joking. This building is literally a dua. You guys remember during hard work when we were in like, 17 different spaces every week it was like we're like you know picking out a piece of paper like where are we having hard work this week and remember how many people i was seeing i didn't tell you guys but like i was seeing retail uh, uh spaces corporate office space i was talking to all kinds of agents probably federal agents too as some of them but so <laughs> you know i was talking to all kinds of like real estate agents and 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 they would not lease it to us we didn't even negotiate. They were like, oh, like, what's the cost? We're like, it's this much per square foot. We're like, done. Where do we sign? They're like, you're not going to negotiate? We're like, no. We're just, we're, we're in a rush to get started. And they would not give it to us. Same with Qalam. Like, Roots was one side, and then with Qalam, the same thing. Money was not a problem. Like, we were like, we will pay whatever it takes. We need space. We need space. And they were like, no, no, no. And then, subhanAllah, like, out of nowhere, there's a dude in California who owns a building in Carrollton, Texas. And he comes up with this crazy offer and we're able, alhamdulillah, by Allah's grace and generosity and the community's effort to put it, make it work. And here we are. Like we're like a few weeks away from having our own space. Like we own this now. Imagine if we locked into a five-year lease and then the guy came to us. Then we have to pay a lot. We're talking about like hundred plus thousands of dollars to get out of that lease and then get this. Probably wouldn't have happened. So during a year of looking, we're being rejected, and I'm like on the phone with CARE, like Islamophobia, alert, Dallas, Texas, Roots can't get a building. And CARE has no lawyers to help us at that moment. They're like, okay, we'll get to you in a couple weeks, this and that. And I'm like, Allah, why are you doing this? There was actually one night, I swear by Allah, there was one night where we were, uh, Mufti Kamani, Sheikh Abdel Nasser, and myself were at my house, and we were talking about the struggles in finding a place. And it was after like the fifth rejection. 
okay? And we looked at each other and we all agreed, Allah's doing something. We just said it. Or like, I forgot when this was. It must have been like, I don't know, maybe like October. Not this year, last year. October, of not this past one, but the one before. We said, Allah's doing something. Like, these rejections don't happen like this. And, and, and Shaykh and the Mufti Kamani just said, just, just hold on, hold on tight. Because something's happening. And then all of a sudden I get a call when I'm in Turkey. Hey, there's a building. Uh, the good news is that they're selling it. The bad news is that we had to raise this much money. And even then, man, like we didn't, you know, it was just crazy. So the point I'm trying to make is like, we thought for sure that we knew what we needed. We thought for sure, okay? But then Allah Ta'ala gave us a permanent home. So now translate that to your life, all right? Translate that to your life. And just make sure that you ask Allah, oh Allah, you know, don't put me in charge of myself. Like, give me what's best for me. If I think something's good for me, but it's not good for me, then put it in my heart not to fall in love with that thing, right? Don't make me in charge of myself, as they say, I don't even want to be in charge for the blink of an eye, right? I don't trust myself. So, ask Allah Ta'ala. Very good question. Anyone else? Yeah. Could you put that dua in the chat? Yeah, yeah, I can get that. Put the dua in the chat, inshallah. You're like always the dua guy in the chat. Uh, I think it's Allahumma la takilni ila nafsi ila tarfata'in. I'll look it up. I'll look it up, inshallah. Yeah, anyone else? Yeah, yes. You said there was a phrase that people would say when they came to gatherings that, sig- that suggested that they may be um, hypocrites. What was that phrase? So, so Hudayfa was saying that. Hudayfa was saying that someone would come in and they would utter something, like a word or a phrase. He wasn't specifying, he was saying like, they would say something. Like the story where the man came to the Prophet and said, اِتَّقِ اللَّهِ Muhammad, Fear Allah, Muhammad. It's like, you're speaking to the Prophet of Allah, like, you know what I mean? Like, if there's one person I don't think taqwa is an issue for, it's him. But you're coming to him saying, اِتَّقِ اللَّهِ Why? Because we are just fresh in the, in the resolution of a, of, a, of a battle. And there's war spoils that need to be distributed, and you're not getting yours fast enough. So now you come up to him and say, "Ittaqilayy Muhammad." So a person like that would show up and just start berating the Prophet even though they claim to be Muslim. And Hudayfa's like, and all of us would kind of look at them and be like, "What? That's not normal. Like no one like that, right? Would ever, you know? Or even people would say like they would make fun of Islam or make fun of Allah or like jokingly, you know? And so Hudayfa's saying that man, back in the day, if that happened once, it would kind of like our day would be ruined. We'd leave that gathering and be like, that was weird. And now he's saying, man, in these gatherings, I hear you guys saying it like 10 times. Basically what he's saying is, watch your tongue. Don't speak so loosely because the thing that you utter, as the hadith says, a person could live their entire life towards Allah and then they'll say one thing that will cast them to the hellfire. Basically the lesson is just think before you talk because you're not sure what speech you uttered. You know, And even nowadays, man, the way that God and prophethood and divinity is all, it's all comedic, right? It's all comedic. Like, it's just, it's just comedic content. Like, comics can speak on behalf of God, can make fun of God. I'm not, I'm not here to say that nobody should have fun and comedy is haram. But what I am, we do have a moral compass for what we think is funny, right? And even if something can be funny to our lower self, our spiritual state should say, you know what? I can see why people think that joke's funny, but it's so dismissive to Allah that I don't want to engage in that. And that is like a moral position that we should take with things like that. So Allah knows best. Yeah. Anyone else? We'll finish up. Last question. Yeah. So let's say you're really ambitious and like you want to go create a startup, right? Like your heart's technically not content. Otherwise, you'd be like more complacent. So how, how do you balance like ambition and contentment? How do you balance ambition and contentment? You want to go create a startup. All I ask is that when you make it, just don't forget me, okay? <laughs> and don't forget Roots, okay? Ilana Dean. Uh, so... Um, 
look, ambition and contentment are not uh, are not uh, opposing forces, right? Um, contentment is the end, and ambition is the beginning. So you are ambitious, but you're content with whatever happens. Does that make sense? So I'm very ambitious, but then at the end of everything, I say Alhamdulillah, I'm content. Oh Allah, whether or not you you give me this or that, I'm content, right? Sometimes you start cooking dinner and you're ambitious. And you end up at Taco Bell and you say, I'm content. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just didn't work out, right? All those ingredients down the drain. So never, ever set them up as opposites, right? Because contentment is not meant to disenfranchise ambition. The Prophet ﷺ taught us that even in things like slaughtering animals, do it the best, right? Do your best. But then at the end, you say, Alhamdulillah. Right? Ask Allah Ta'ala to accept. Allahu Alam. Alright everybody. Jazakumullah khairan. Barakallah fikum. See you guys inshallah. This Friday, before you leave this Friday, we have a guest speaker coming in, Dr. Saman Tour. The flyer is going to go up inshallah tonight or tomorrow. Uh, four principles of spiritual and mental wellness. And then on Saturday morning, he's doing a workshop for parents. The prophetic principles of parenting. So if you are a parent, or if you're on your way to becoming one, or if you're ever curious about being one, then uh, both workshops are for you inshallah. Okay? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.